Hey, hey, welcome to Horns Up. I'm Animesh and I'm Peter. And today, Peter, we are going a little bit mellow. Yeah, we've turned it down a few notches this time. And why is that? Well, the artist that we're speaking to is releasing a solo album for the first time. And uh, most of you might know him for as the voice of bands like Sky Harbor, Tesseract, and numerous other acts, man. Yeah, it's taken Dan Tompkins a long, long, long time to come out with a solo release. I was introduced to him thanks to his work on Tesseract. Uh, I loved Concealing Fate. I must say, I must be very honest, um, when Concealing Fate came out, it wasn't the vocals that impressed me. I agree to a certain extent because with that album and especially the way it was laid out and everything else, the instrumentation took a huge precedence in there. But yeah, surprisingly, I wasn't introduced to Dan Tompkins uh, through Tesseract, but actually a band he was with prior to that called Piano. Okay. And uh, again, if you think about it, it was in that kind of space, pr- progressive rock. But this is before, like, you know, the gent and everything else came in. So this preceded that. What did you make of the vocals at that time? Oh, yeah. It was, for, for me, in piano, that was one of the standout things. So I definitely am going to recommend uh, you check out uh, that release. All right. I yeah. will. But here's what's weird about this particular album or this particular interview, right? It actually showcases the journey of a musician who's gone out and has tried his very best to excel at his craft. And of course, the new album, which is Castles, yeah. definitely showcases that. Yeah, and it's, I'm going to wait to see the response because uh, I personally really enjoyed it. You wouldn't want uh, a versatile vocalist like Dan to be like pigeonholed into a certain genre and things like that. And this really showcases, you know, his work and his voice. Of course, his signature tone is evident throughout the record and the interview will just give us a small glimpse as such, but yet a detailed one. That's weird, right? Small yet detailed about the various intricacies, the journey, the complexities, the challenges it took to get this record out because this record is what nearly four years in the yeah, making yeah and that's what he talks about uh, quite well even you know i must mention the production on it because if you think about it this is so different from everything we've heard like for most of the uh, releases i've heard uh, dan perform on it's been slightly more heavier but this is in a way stripped down production yeah it's stripped down but at the same time um I started off the episode by saying mellow, right? Uh, that's my only criticism as such of the album because it maintains that one tempo throughout and which makes it for some lovely palette cleansing material. Uh, however, I must say Dan sounds bloody fantastic on this one. Yeah. I think this is the best I've heard him sound on across his various projects. Especially especially in the studio. I can't wait for him to take this live in some manner because I think now he'll do justice to this material. Yeah, and you know, one of the things I really like about the interview is also he talks about his journey as a vocalist and how he's constantly trying to evolve himself and do something different. So I feel this album, Castles, is a step in that way. And man, can you imagine... What the next Tesseract release is going to sound Holy shit, like. I can't wait for it. So I anyways, that's quite a long uh, diatribe of sorts 
on Dwayne Dan Tompkins and Castles. We won't keep you waiting any longer. This one is pretty raw. It's pretty honest. Here's Dan Tompkins. All right, and now joining us is Dan Tompkins, ace vocalist, and this time around, debut album songwriter. Yeah. Thanks, Dan, for joining us. Ah, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things uh, I, when I was just working on the questions and stuff like that, I realized how much time you've spent in India touring with Tesseract, Sky Harbor. So it's kind of safe to call you a part Indian, I guess, right? <laughs> it's a big part of my journey and part of my story. Um, the whole India thing, like 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 you say, the first time over there was with Tesseract. And then obviously I developed a relationship with Keshav from Sky Harbor. And I think I've, I think I visited seven or eight times now, if not more yeah. than that. Yeah. So I'm very, I'm very familiar with India and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit like a second home. I know some, some people laugh at that, but when you tour the world and you come back to the same place so many times, it does feel like a big part of your story. So in India is definitely a part, part of my story for sure. So obviously there's the music angle to it, but other than the music, what keeps you, uh, what what draws you towards India? Why do you keep revisiting? Well, number one, we get asked a lot, <laughs> and uh, we're always open to um, to touring uh, places where people want to see us. Uh, you know, if if we get enough, if we get enough interest, and and the fees are are justified uh, in, in getting us over, then we're going to turn <laughs> up and, and we're going to play. I mean, we are, we are kind of at the stage in our career now where every decision we try and make has to benefit the band from a business perspective. Um, and we're, we're lucky enough to be on a good trajectory. Um, things are growing all the time. And that also means um, bigger and better fees, larger audiences, bigger stage production, everything that you can imagine comes with a developing band. So, yeah. And and I'm glad you mentioned that because I managed to catch you guys uh, when you all played here in Mumbai in Jan and like it, it was such a great show. I had such a great time, uh, especially touring off Sonder. Um, yeah, man, I, I, I'm kind of out of words <laughs> when I have to describe watching you guys play in Jan. But yeah, it was an overall great show and I, I had a great time. That's really great to hear. You know, it's like every time we come and play, we have such an amazing response and definitely um, the general Indian fan can typically be described as enthusiastic and that is calling it mild, um, which is amazing. I mean, we, we really do love the love. We feel it. And that's another, that, that is really another part of why we accept offers to come. It isn't just purely to, to, to benefit the business. I mean, we really do feel loved when we come to India. All right, but of course, this time around, we are chatting with you because you've got a debut solo album coming out. It's called Castles. Um, what's your reaction at the moment? What are you feeling about it? Are you nervous? Are you, I don't know, is there butterflies in your stomach? Are you building castles in the air? <laughs> um, it's a very strange place to be because I've actually had this album written, mastered, fully produced, and, you know, all the artwork for the CD and the, and, the, and the project has been finished for four years. And, uh, and I sat on the album and procrastinated about whether it was the right thing to do, whether I was ready as an individual, yes. as a solo artist to, to release it. Um, 
and I have to say that I did decide to sit on it. I left it, you know, um, locked away in a folder on a hard drive until I got to the point where I felt more confident in myself as an individual, until I felt ready to carry the responsibility of being a solo artist and not actually do it justice. And that also goes hand in hand with the fact that I've developed a very good relationship with K-Scope uh, and Snapper Records over in the UK. Um, I was actually going to release the record um, myself, DIY, but I decided to reach out to K-Scope and see if they had any interest. I wasn't really interested in, in, in taking it elsewhere and fishing it around to different labels. If, uh, if I was either going to do it two ways, DIY or through you know, a label that I had a personal relationship with. And they, they snapped it up. Um, they, the response I had from, from those guys was, basically, we want to develop you as a solo artist for the next five plus years and see how it goes. We love, we love you as an artist. We love what, what you do and your level of, of, create, of creativity. Um, and I love those guys. I love, I love them as a label, the way that they work, the, the whole team and the, and the ethics. You know, they, they want to put out quality product. They want to work with artists. They, they, they don't dictate what happens. They're very flexible and they're hardworking. And I just, I just feel like it's been the perfect fit for the record. Okay, that's lovely. But I wanted to, uh, I want to delve a little bit deeper into this four-year thing. Um, first question: Why is this the correct time to release Castles? If it has been in the works for four years, and it, as such, most of the songs were ready. Um, that's the first part of the question. The second part of the question is: When you linger on to something for that longer time. How tempted were you to keep working on the songs, reworking them, arranging them? Where do you draw the line and say, okay, this is done. This project is over. I'm ready to share this with the world. Uh, this is the final version of the song. Yeah. Well, let me answer the, let me answer the second question first, because I feel that that's, that probably ties into things better. So, um, yes, it is four years old. Um, the songs were locked in time for a while. Um, there was something about them that just didn't didn't cut the mark. I wasn't completely happy with them. There were small things, elements of the mix, um, elements of, of the songs and the tempos. A lot, a lot of the songs were actually a lot slower. <clears throat> and it was bugging me for a long time. And that's another reason why I didn't feel completely happy already. And I was also quite distracted because this is at a point where I had... I had left Tesseract, I had joined Sky Harbor, I was trying to make a thing of Sky Harbor, and my world was just tipped upside down once again when I rejoined Tesseract, and this is at the point, and this is all going on while I have this record sat in the background. So there was a lot of disruption going on, and especially in, ter in terms of the way that the public might have viewed my position at that time, was kind of like jumping around from different projects. And I don't think I had the stability that I needed in order to, you know, to give the solo record the impact that it needed and to show people that I had stability in my own world. So that, you know, I think people want stability. They, they want to know that their artists are rooted and, and, and they're not going to disappear and constantly move around to new things. Um, that's been a big part of the decision-making processes is the way that I, I, I feel that I'm perceived from a public perspective. Um, <clears throat> so there was a... And, there was also the uh, obviously the connection with K-Scope. When they came along, um, I mean, I've signed a very good record deal for a, for a studio-only project. And so that also gave me the ability to 
um, invest in re in very good visuals. So I've got two two great videos that I invested in, um, and it made me reassess things. It made me go back over the music and and think about okay, now I have an opportunity to really you know push this record. I'm going to make all the changes that I wanted to in the first place, and, and I'm now have more more freedom of time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so I went. Uh, I took the main body of the album. Um, I took it to my friend Paul Ortiz, who's uh, the mastermind behind Chimp Spanner and Zeta, mm -hmm. and we and we sat down for a few days and just said, right, I want this track faster. Let's change the tempo. Let's get all the stems for the track. Let's let, let's, let's let's think about ways um, in which we could maybe polish them, embellish upon them. And Paul was a part of that. We went over, you know, four or five of the songs and. And just made them a little bit more special, I guess. Um, so jumping to the first part of the question, which I believe was... Actually, I think I might have answered that. So that was about... Yeah, yeah. why is this the correct time? Yeah, and I also think the other reason why it's the correct time, because I've already, did, I've already mentioned that in the, in the answer to that, to that question, is that I feel much more confident as a singer. Um, I think over the last... Over the last four or five years, I think I've been very hit and miss, in my own opinion, as, as a live vocalist. I feel like sometimes I've been on it and some, sometimes I haven't. And I will hold my hand up and say, yes, I've been fairly inconsistent live. So that's been a big, um, a big part of my development over the last few years is trying to really get to grips with what I'm doing live and be, and be able to do it properly and become the next level artist that I want to become and so I've been locked away training rehearsing um, and I just feel I feel now is the time I feel very confident uh, so it all goes hand in hand I mean even with Tesseract I feel like you know the whole level of the, the whole level of the production now is is, is increasing um, and we have to we have to provide the goods all of us um, so yeah I, I'm looking for consistency I feel like I've got it now I'm ready so releasing a solo record just feels like the right time. Yeah, and you also touched upon uh, this aspect, so I'm just going to build further on it. You know, a solo release is a bit of a risk for an established artist like you. Uh, was this that something weighed upon you during the songwriting and recording process? Of course. Now, uh, I also have to bring in the fact that most of these songs have been four years in the making or four years old. So your uh, image as such or your presence in, on the metal scene has also kept growing in those four years. So, yeah, four years back, did it weigh upon you and now is it weighing upon you anymore? I feel like four years ago, I was in a very different place and I, and I didn't properly value this record. Um, I think if I had have released it DIY, it wouldn't have had the reach that I would have liked to have had because you have to remember that even though, <clears throat> even though I have a following as an individual, I'm nothing without Tesseract. Te te Tesseract is, is, the, is the hub of everything. Everything has spiraled out from Tesseract. If I'm not the frontman of Tesseract, I'm, I'm merely just lost in the ether. I truly believe that, even though I do have a following. Um, so <clears throat> it, is, it, it was a risk, and it is a risk, uh, but it's also a bit of a statement, I believe, you know, um, I think to step out as a solo artist is a, is is a bit of a is a bold move. Um, but the thing is, is that I, throughout my life, I've always put myself in in in, in positions where I, I expose myself. 
whether that's for one reason or, or, or another. And I personally find that I've grown a great deal by doing that. Um, so I'm making myself very vulnerable by, by doing this, this record. It's a very open topic. Um, it's very heartfelt, very, um, very emotional, very cathartic. But it's also, from a visual perspective, quite vulnerable as well. Because if you've seen any of the promotional artwork, I've basically, um, you know, dressed myself up in weird necklaces and and yeah. odd an odd makeup. And that's that, that's a part of me rediscovering myself, and it's a part of me expressing myself. And it's and it's not only challenging me, but it's challenging the people around me. It's challenging. Um, the fan base it's creating a lot of conversation like what is he doing why is he why is he dressing up like this and purely it's it's just an element of being creative but also taking inspiration from some of my all-time favorite artists like david bowie or or bjork you know these are individuals that have have no bound have had no boundaries and have constantly recreated themselves individually in the way that they appear and the way that they sound their music and I adore that approach. And ever since, ever, ever since leaving my my full time career that I had for eight years, all the time while I was trying to build, you know, become a singer, not knowing how to do it, never studied music. All I did was like got in bands and 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 played shows and tried to develop myself without any tutoring, any any kind of like in depth knowledge of the industry. It was very much kind of a case of do it and see what happens and and i am very much a grassroots artist so yeah ever since ever since making that decision to leave the police force and and be a lifer to music i have had an insane desire to create that is why if you if, if anyone is interested in the journey that i've had they will know that over the past several years i've released 15 16 records yeah. in such a short space it's, of time. Which is quite an impressive task, I must say. One of the things I came across uh, while doing just research for this interview. It's, I mean, I, it's something that I'm, I'm very happy about. There, there's an element of pride in there. I don't, I don't try. I, I'm, I'm not a proud person in general. I don't, I don't believe in that. Um, I'm, I like to think that I'm fairly modest even though I'm saying that there's an element of ego, to ego behind that. <laughs> so I mean, take, take from that what you will, but I do try and keep my feet on the floor and I just try and work hard. And I think if you, you know something, there's always been people that have tried to put, put me back, you know, um, to stop me from what I'm doing, but that's so seeds of negative, um, of, of just, uh, you know, abuse or, or criticism, and the thing is, is I've always tried to ignore that and I've focused on the goal. I feel like to achieve anything in life, you have to have a finishing attitude. Yeah. You know, and just see, see, see a project through and stay focused on what you enjoy most. So when I sit down and write music, I'm not listening to what people are telling me. I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not necessarily listening to other music and, and trying to copy people. I'm not, I'm not taking advice from the industry. I'm not listening to what the fans want. I'm doing what I want. And I'm, I'm, I'm creating music and, and I'm involving myself in music that makes me feel incredible. And if it betters me and makes me feel great, I know that it's going to make other people feel the same. Lovely. Um, let's talk about the songwriting on Castles. Now, most debut solo records are records where the artist completely bears himself or herself or themselves to the world. 
um, on your press note, it mentions that castles are said to be inspired by the arc of relationships, tragic mistakes, misjudgments of character, and victorious passionate love. How much of you is reflected in castles? A great deal. <laughs> the <laughs> obvious answer. Um, yeah. So here's the thing. Uh, I think as a grassroots artist, and, as, and and typically in the progressive music world, I think there's an expectation that the artist should be responsible for writing all their own material, all the yeah. all the music, all the vocals, all the lyrics. Well, here's the thing. So with this record, it was mainly written and produced by um, a gentleman called Eddie Head, who is okay. the main songwriter for Haji's Kitchen. They oh, are okay. a they are a metal band from the states who, yeah. who saw fame with um, landing a very big sync opportunity, which was the the intro song to Dragon Ball Z in the late nineties. Oh 90s. wow! Okay, but I do remember listening to Haji's Kitchen album primarily because you were featured on it in two thousand twelve. Sure. Yeah, yeah, so I that really was appreciate that. I appreciate that very much. So it was great to um, see, kind of. It's a small world, even in the, even in this universe. Yeah, yeah it's a small world. It is. It really is. And I met them through Tesseract once again. That's where everything spirals from. Wow. Um, but the thing is, is that I, I was. You have to remember that I, at the point when I started to do this four or five years ago, I was at a point where I'd released so many records. I'd worked on so many different concepts and lyrical ideas and I'll be, very, I'll be very honest I started to feel a little bit creatively drained as you as you would naturally expect yeah um, and so what I was looking for is a different take a different perspective a different a different way of just changing up the process to keep the outcome different which is a, a very a very good good way to to create you know to, to avoid becoming stale you have to find a different approach so what I did yeah. was I, I, re, I reached out to Eddie um, and I knew that he was a very good producer himself. And I said, would you like to write some records together? I've got some ideas for the overall kind of sound, the, the kind of elements that I want to include, the vibe of it, the tone. Um, and we worked together on it. So this is not just me, even though I'm representing it as a solo artist. And I have been involved in the creation of it all. Um, it, primarily, it is the... It is it is Eddie's work, if that makes sense. So the first seven songs on the album um, are is are the main songs, uh, which, which which me and Eddie wrote together. However, we I decided to extend the album because I felt that it needed to be it needed more more body to it. But the thing was, I didn't want to revisit. This is this is four years on. I didn't want to then go back and put myself in the same emotional state and this and try and go back four years. As a, as a singer and then add to the album it just didn't feel right so i decided to to make remixes of the songs and in, include my friends and and other producers that i work with so <clears throat> i gave i gave the songs to my friends paul ortiz from chimp spanner ackle from tesseract randy slaw from white moth black butterfly and also another producer that i'm working with called dimitri stepanov who's who's from russia and and i said take listen to the songs and you choose one, and if you want to remix it and be a part part of the record, I would love you to be involved. So what they did is, <laughs> is they they took the vocal from the track that they liked the most and rewrote the music based around the vocal. Now I love this approach to writing music, and it was also a really good exercise for Ackle in Tesseract yeah. to just you know take my vocal for a change and write music around it. Because normally within Tesseract, 
I get given music mm-hmm. and I just put my, my, my vocal on it. And I truly believe that to m- really make a cohesive, catchy, hooky, very strong song, it ought to really be based around the vocal melody or at least be a big part of that process. So there, was a, there are a number of different factors. You know, I'm always looking for different avenues or always looking to kind of like, you know, advance, uh, you know, move things along. So, yeah, it, it was a way of fleshing out the record, but also finding new approaches to writing music. <clears throat> and from looking at that, I can see Saved was uh, quite a popular track for all of them to work on because there are like four different versions of Saved. Oh, yeah, that's album. right. Yeah. <laughs> well, moving on about the album. Um, again, this is from the press note. Uh, it says, a lot of the story is told from the perspective of someone who's seeking the perfect partnership and the ultimate fulfillment of finding it. So what was what was the lyric writing process you followed this time? Was there something different you looked at? Trying to get a steady rhythm going. Uh, Is that better now? Yeah, yeah. That's that's okay. better. That's better. That's better. Okay. Okay, so so yeah. When I sat down with Eddie, we discussed okay, so what's the vibe of this record? What are we talking about? And the, the one thing that I've never really done is spoken about relationships. I've always tried to avoid it in the past because I felt that it's cliche and a bit tweaked. You know, typically when you hear about when you hear love songs, they kind of make me want to retch and be sick. Um, so I I thought, well, here's a challenge. Let's try and write a, a you know really in depth record based around that idea. Um, and at the time, Eddie was going through a pretty turbulent relationship himself, and I was going through a very stable, very um, very very well balanced relationship. Uh, right. And so we thought that's a really interesting idea. So let's let's try and get different perspectives and try and mold this into something. But it also comes with a different perspective, and that is the fact that I I used to be um, a high risk domestic violence specialist when I was in the police force. So I dealt with a lot of victims of abuse and violence, sometimes life threatening. <clears throat> so I saw a lot of I saw a lot of people that were in very very tricky situations um they felt very trapped they were being abused um some people just could not see the wood from the trees they were so emotionally drained and trapped and so there's a really dark edge to the record which taps into a lot of those experiences that i witnessed as well but i think the ultimate outcome of the album is should be the realization that you know truth love can be found but a lot of the time it takes a lot of sacrifice and commitment and you have to work at relationships to truly find true love. That is it. That is my opinion. That is, that is, that is, that is my experience. I mean, I've been with my wife for nearly 20 years. We've, we've been married 10 and we have had ups and downs. We have had hard times, good times, but we work through it. And I think this really connects as well with the idea of, you know, I, I am I am I'm 36. I I'm classed as a millennial, and I think millennials normally get tagged as the younger generation between like you know early 20s to mid 20s. But actually, it goes a lot further. Than that. And even as a millennial myself, when I was growing up, I didn't have you know the internet or social media, none of that. So if you wanted to get in the relationship, you had to it had to be done through authentic relationship. You had to get to know somebody, you know, have a conversation you know find yeah. out what what people were about you know and really get get to know them personally whereas today with a lot of social media and a lot of dating apps i think people treat relationships like they're upgrading technology 
always looking for the better quick yeah. fix, the better upgrade, and always looking for the very quick fix of finding the perfect relationship right from the get-go. And that's why a lot of relationships fail, because yeah. people aren't willing to work at them. If you, if you, here's, here's the thing. So the best piece of advice I was ever given in terms of having a good, a good relationship was communication. Always talk about what's yeah. bothering you, about your issues, never hold anything back, never fall to sleep on an argument, never yeah. wake up with regret. <clears throat> so, I mean, me and Emma, I always used to make a point of if we ever had a disagreement or like a big fallout, we would, we would stay awake until the early hours, until we'd spoken and fleshed it out, until, we've, until we'd found some middle ground and a compromise and whatever was going on. People don't want to do that these days. And that's kind of like a bit of a downside for me, you know. But ultimately, I think the album carries a sense of hope. It touches on a lot of dark matters, but it's also very uplifting. And, and like, like I put in my press release, it's about that, the successful side of, you know, that, the triumphant love that you can find in relationships. So, yeah, so I think let's segue into, since we've talked so much about uh, the album, uh, we'd like to play a track from the album. Which one do you recommend we play for our listeners and why? Okay, so um, I'm going to choose Castles. That's my favorite track from the record. Why is it your favorite? I feel that it is extremely uplifting. And the second half of that whole song it just puts me in a super mood. It makes the hair stand up on my arms. I created a lot of um, synth uh, pads that were, that were made from my vocal takes. So rather than being synthetic, they were quite organic and they just really hit the mark for me. It's a great, there's some great hooks and, um, and it's the title track from the record. All right, so here you go. Here is Castles from Castles. i 
That was Castles from uh, Daniel Tompkins' solo debut album uh, of the same name, Castles. Uh, heading back into just a little bit about the album. Uh, one of the things uh, about the cover artwork created by Annie Artworks is it's quite different compared to what you currently see. And it has quite a few different elements happening in there. So what was your brief to the artist? What were what, what you trying to, uh, I mean, communicate through that, I guess? Well, I think firstly, if I just describe what's going on in the artwork, is there's something quite interesting here. Is If you look at the eyes, that's actually a watercolor painting that was, that was done by um, uh, an artist from, from Spain called Joan Bengoa. And the original album artwork was purely just the eyes oh, wow, with, a, okay. with a beige background and with a title castles at the bottom. And that was something that, again, I wasn't totally happy with. Um, 
so when I had the opportunity to you know have a have a real budget for artwork I started to think well how can I make this really interesting um, <clears throat> and I've actually worked with an artist called um, she goes under the moniker of Annie Artworks mm -hmm. um, and I looked at her body of work and I just found it fascinating I, I love what she does and, and how, how she works there's a lot of a lot of very um, abstract feel to what she creates and it's done very tastefully so I've reached out to her and I said could you could you work with me on this um, and try and you know I told her the concept to the album the fact that it was about relationships the title track was castles I, I wanted to create the the vision of a montage of different feelings that are going on in terms of you know th like the birds represent freedom the flowers represent love the statues represent the king and the queen in the relationship um, and just to flesh it out with an amazing abstract piece of work. And literally all I did was I sent her that brief. I gave her the artwork for the eyes and she just came back with this beautiful front cover. And I really, I really do adore it. It's probably one of my favorite covers that I have um, and, and have worked on. And I'm yeah. just trying to look over my shoulder to try because I have it in my, in my case, in my album case. And um, yeah, it's just, it's a beautiful thing, man. It's really great. <laughs> lovely all right so that was a lot about castle dan uh let's slip into the second half of the interview we'd like to talk to you about your other projects and stuff just have a little bit of fun is that okay oh yeah yeah no problem all right okay so you're known to the metal community as the voice of so many bands right there's tesseract sky harbor the most obvious ones and then there are countless others um we'd like you to define each of them in one word is that something you'd be cool with? <laughs> I can try. <laughs> okay, cool. So, let's, so let's, let's go one by one. All right, Peter, why don't you start him off? And we're starting up from your oldest projects. So here's the project I first heard you on, piano. One word. Yeah. Okay, make, make uh, that one sentence. sentence yeah. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and keep it as short as possible. Unrefined. Okay, first signs of frost. Okay. Um, okay, so first signs of frost. Let me think of an interesting word to describe that. Mm, uh, it's coming. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> it's coming. It's nearly there. All right. Okay. Skin tight. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow. All right. Okay. We after the little toughies were making it easier. Tesseract. Oh, do I? Re I I'm going to do some something really predictable here, but I'm just going to call it geometric. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sky Harbor. Celestial. Hmm. That's okay, interesting. interesting. Okay. Uh, Haji's Kitchen. Borderline new metal. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I'm not going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Absent hearts. Organic. White mod, black butterfly. Contemporary. Okay, Zeta. Futuristic. Again, okay, we're now down to the last one. Daniel Tompkins. Beige. In the negative right. sense of the word. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this is essentially a ready reckoner for anybody who wants to listen to any Daniel Tompkins word. 
choose your album using this list. Yeah, <laughs> oh, no one's going to choose anything. <laughs> <laughs> But that okay. was a lot of fun. Okay, any uh, next up, um, have you taken any formal vocal lessons? I did, yeah. When I was 21, I had uh, lessons with a classical vocal coach. Um, and then moving through my uh, my several years of self-development, I kind of did things by myself and took a lot of online tuition. Uh, studied with the Brett Manning series. Um, and then uh, over the last few years, I've touched base with um, a coach from um, New Hampshire in America called Amanda Munton, who's a classical contemporary Uh, vocal coach and if you know anything about singing to hear those two words together that's quite unusual because classical singing is a very uh, is a very particular style of singing and that you know that, that doesn't necessarily like to break the rules um, uh, co a contemporary artist breaks all the rules so to so to see them hand in hand Uh, is quite interesting, which is one of the reasons why I went to see her and I learned a lot of great things from her. And we also, uh, she learned a lot of great things from me as well because she was looking for advice on on extreme vocals as well. So <clears throat> we we worked together for a few years. Um, and then more recently, uh, I've been liaising with a um, an A-list celebrity vocal coach called Mindy Pack from America, who is um, Pharrell, Pharrell Williams' and Justin Timberlake's vocal coach. So I've been, she, she's purely contemporary. So I've been learning a great deal over the last 10 years, I guess. Um, a lot yeah. of self-development, but also a lot of, a lot of liaising with, with, other, with other coaches, getting different perspectives. And one thing I have to say for anyone out there is that there is no set rule when it comes to singing. Okay, so here's a, here's a question for you, a slightly left-field question. Um, All these vocal coaches, etc., that you've been going to, how do they define your voice, and do you agree with them when they define your voice? Yeah, I do. Um, there's something called a vocal athlete, okay, and that is that is the the type of singer that pushes themselves to their limits and and does uses the whole spectrum of their voice in a very intense but controlled manner. And I was recently referred to as a vocal athlete by Mindy. And it's something that there's a whole book been been written on this called The Vocal Athlete. And it's a great book to get into if you if you want to learn to sing. Um, and I would agree with that. You know, I think anyone that is doing what I do um, in the in the progressive metal world, you know, singers that are combining the raw, aggressive elements of of, um, of vocal fry and screaming, but also able to use falsetto and head voice and mix voice and every aspect of your voice then you are a vocal athlete and all of my peers uh, in the industry uh, you know you've got Tommy Giles from Between the Buried and Me yeah. uh, you've got Michael Lassard from the, from, from the Contortionist all of these all of these artists are vocal athletes and I'm proud to say that I'm one of those lovely so as a vocal athlete uh, what's your warm up routine like and is there like any weird vocal exercises that you can teach us probably <laughs> there's a million and one different things that you can do but i have to say that over the past year or two i've had a very big revelation when it comes to singing and that is the fact that people neglect to address vocal constriction and tightening and that is essentially just loosening up the muscles in your neck manually so yeah i mean my, my warm-up routine is heavily based around 
a, a, a laryngeal massage. That is the foundation of what I do. And then I will a- attack different, you know, very standard vocal exercises to um, ease myself into the singing process. But I don't spend an hour and a half warming up my voice before I go on stage. And I hear a lot of people that do this. And in my opinion, it is a mistake uh, throughout the years of, of learning and, and, and training. I've definitely come to understand that if you're a touring artist and you're doing it day in and day out, the last thing you want to be doing is singing an hour and a half before you do an hour and a half set every single day. Your voice becomes conditioned in actual fact. So in terms of getting into pitch, it's far easier. So it, it's, it's more important to make sure that the muscles internally and externally in your neck um, are loose. And you can achieve that very simply by um, straw phonation exercises, which are, assen- which are which is essentially an exercise where you take a cocktail straw and basically make noise down it. Um, let me give you an example. So the size of cocktail straw I'm talking about are the very small thin ones which are about maybe half a centimeter in diameter and very simply you would seal your lips around it (laughs) and just blow through it yeah and that is a very good a very good way of learning to compress air when you're singing and and balance and balance the way you, you you sing as well but it's also very good for relieving muscular tension so there you go bit of an insight right so just kind of wrapping this up because we've had uh, quite an interesting chat and a long chat also. Uh, what's next for you? I mean, you've done so much. Uh, if I can ask a simple pointed question, anything new on the white mod black butterfly front? Anything we can expect from there? Yes, for sure. We're we're writing for the for the third album as we awesome. do. Um, I'm writing for the fifth Tesseract album. I'm writing for the second and third solo record. I'm writing for the second Zeta record. Um, and this is an ongoing process. Um, like I said at the start of the interview, I chose to become a lifer to music and I will not I will not sit back and waste time. I am being proactive. I want to create a legacy for my children and for my fans. And I just want to be a happy individual and creating and singing makes me very happy awesome we're really glad i'm really glad to hear it uh, just the last question for you i know uh, you're going to be busy touring with tesseract in the coming months but do you have any plans of performing your solo material live i will never say no but now isn't the right time for that um i have a have an insane schedule with tesseract yeah. to put something together would be a logistical problem for sure but who knows what's going to happen in the next few years? You know, I, I won't write it off. I would like to, but now isn't the right time. You know, we've had a great conversation, Dan, and thanks a lot for your time. Uh, horns up. And yeah, we're definitely looking forward uh, to hearing from you in the coming months, all the projects that you have lined up. Hey, thanks a lot. And to any listeners out there that are supporting Tesseract, anything that, that I do from the bottom of my heart, Thank you so much. Keep spreading the word. There's loads more to come. Really appreciate the support. Thank you. That was refreshingly candid and I was just surprised that how honest he was. Oh yeah, man. I mean, again, uh, it's a bit of a reflection of the album, if you may. Of course, the uh, debut's 
yeah. uh, the debut album from a singer songwriter at this point yeah and of course he'll bear his soul out yeah and like we touched upon it in the interview it's a huge risk at this stage i mean if you think about it for somebody who's been known as the voice of so many bands now to be releasing his own uh, debut album with a complete different sound uh, material i mean it's quite introspective and reflective if you just read through the lyrics yeah definitely that it is um what i especially loved was all the various artists he got to collaborate with him yeah. and that also it's done in a very different manner yeah it's not very often that you just send out scratch tracks or uh, whatever your own tracks and let people interpret them in whatever manner they choose that's a pretty ballsy step to do you know i'm really glad we got to do that interview uh, very nice to hear him be so candid and you know just raw and lay it all out yeah of course and with that it's a wrap on this episode of horns up we've got a pretty big indie project lined up next week too and by indie i just don't mean independent i also mean indian Oh yeah and it's part indian i don't know like it's half indian i'm not sure how exactly yeah, to classify yeah kind of like sky harbor yeah yeah but yeah. it it's quite again this doesn't fit in the exact template or stereotype of metal and i'm really glad we had got the chance to do the interview because we kind of see where the evolution of this artist has been i've been following him for years now yeah same here but we'll just leave it at that we won't reveal who it is Let's just say we hope to abolish the obsolete system. <laughs> hint, 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 hint. Not so subtle, not so subtle, not so subtle at all. Anyways, if you know who it is, feel free to reach out to us. Hansap is on Twitter. It's at Hansap Pod. I'm Adas Mohani, and I'm Trent Crusher. See you next week. Hansap. Hansap, guys. <laughs>